0: Welcome back, or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and in this episode, we are talking with Joe McConaughey, a professional trail runner for Brooks based in Seattle, Washington, ahead of the 2023 Bandera 100K. But before we get started, this episode is brought to you by Rabbit. Use code SINGLETRACK30 on their website for 30% off your next order. I'm really excited to announce that Rabbit will be one of the presenting sponsors of the Single Track Podcast in 2023. I'll have more details about that partnership in the next few weeks and with that let's get started joe mcconaughey welcome back to the single track podcast i'm back baby before we get to uh the race at hand you had a great instagram post the other day reflecting on all the changes and the turmoil in the world of athlete sponsorships and some of the athletes will undoubtedly land on their feet and announce new partnerships later this month but you had a really interesting line at the end of your comment saying, quote, it's fun to see people push the limits of human, human endurance, less so the Instagram algorithm. Can you talk more about your thoughts there?
1: Hot takes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm like, uh, it's an interesting world, right? Because the and that's what makes trail running great, too. Um, and what I'm talking about is the fact of and just like the rise of social media and influence and quote unquote community. And how that allows athletes to be professionals, right? So, um, yeah. the old model was, yeah, like if you're on an Olympic team, you get paid a lot of money, and everyone is getting everyone who's getting paid money as a runner is getting paid because maybe they'll make an Olympic team. And it's like you got to eke out a living if you're a professional road runner, um, but it's doable, right? And then in the in the track or in the trail world, it's this kind of like unicorn of like we are just like running to have fun right and that's kind of the you know where trail running really arose from with some big names in the trail space and you get to where we are now uh and it's like okay you know trail running is a more professional sport there's more money in it there are more businesses there's a variety of services and premium products and yada 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 and as an athlete um you kind of get pushed in in the direction to be like an influencer right or to be really dialed in on social media. But on the flip side, there's a lot of athletes who are incredibly talented people and also very, uh, very important in their own spheres, but they don't have the social media influence. A good example of this is Georgia Porter, who just won mountain McDowell um, frenzy 50 K and she won like a year long Solomon sponsorship. Um, That was like their big, you know, push is whoever won the race would get a year worth of, kind of like a low-key sponsorship through Solomon. Um, but in in the, in the their clause, they had an accountant for someone who doesn't have a social media account, right? And Georgia doesn't have a social media account. And I think when you look at, you know, more broadly, uh, if you're trying to be a professional trail runner these days, you don't need to be, you know, big on social media. But um, if you're not on social media, it makes it a lot harder to be there in a professional capacity. And for me, um, it's a little bit of a, I don't know. I always am torn by people who push out a lot of Instagram content um, because it's not natural for a lot of people to do. Uh, And in a lot of ways, I think it forces people to gravitate towards really outlandish personalities that maybe aren't exactly reflect, that aren't reflective of the community as a whole. Right.
0: In, In your history in the sport, in terms of your relationships with sponsors, have you felt over the years an increasing I don't want to say pressure, but encouragement to push the outer bounds of Instagram? Or are you still being encouraged to focus on your fitness and focus on what you can do from a performance standpoint?
1: I'd say it's mixed. It depends on which sponsor you're working with, right? Um, and like, I know one of the bummers this year is there's like a company who positions themselves at like a really high performance and pushing the limits of like, you know, endurance and what's possible and, but their focus is going more and more towards like social media influencers. Right. Which I'm like, Mm. those are like, not, that's not the like, you know, market you position yourself in as a company and what your products are supposedly geared towards. But at the end of the day, somebody who has, you know, a lot of social media influence is able to much more easily get the word out there. Um, and me as an athlete, you know, I'd say, I'd say it's something that, that, It's just all it's I think it really comes down to what it really comes down to is the person who's managing that athlete relationship and their Mm -hmm. and what they're looking for. I'd say that I'd say rather than like this industry trend of getting pushed in one direction, I think it really comes down to who the person is who's managing that program and how that person is being measured in their success by their bosses to determine like what athletes are getting pushed, you know, in terms of contracts and requirements.
0: A part of me wonders how much longer we'll be in this era where athletes are responsible soup to nuts for creating their own content as opposed to just being the subject of said content. And there's going to be somebody, whether it's in the marketing department or someone that is like a videographer that they hire to do a contract with. It's all outsourced because my, my position is always evolving, but I feel like it's not necessarily bad to to be on Instagram and to be putting content out. It's just most athletes in our sport, understandably, are not born and bred content creators. They're just great athletes. And they do have good storytelling capabilities in some cases, but um they're probably not spending every single waking day of their lives wondering, you know, how they can make this effect on a video better or how they can take this photo better. Not really a question, more a comment. And I don't know, do you have any thoughts there?
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, you know, I think that's that's one of the struggles, right, Is and why I think companies are always hesitant to invest in influencers, because it's like, okay, if we pay this person money, or if we give them products, like, are they going to actually make content one? And is it going to be like, good content two? right? And, uh, and that's just like a big x factor that companies can't control for. But I do think as social continues, probably presumably to get bigger, yeah, that will be something that's more done in house rather than rather than out of house.
0: I will say this though, and I'm partly stealing a line from a conversation I overheard a couple days ago. But you know, I think you and I were in our early 30s. We're probably the last generation that wasn't like totally native to social media. And these Gen what is it Zers or Xers? I don't know. Gen what Xers. It is. Gen Xers. Okay, they're all native to it. And I had a buddy who was talking about TikTok the other day, and he's like, you know, I logged on the TikTok, and I'm a, con- I fashion myself a content creator, but I saw all these videos of like trick shots and people just doing wild and crazy stunts. And it felt like the social media equivalent of me being in a horse and buggy and seeing the first Ford Model T just whizzing past me at 60 miles an hour. Like these kids are at a whole nother level of content creation. And maybe the problem that you and I are talking about here won't even be an issue because these kids will be so native to the experience. It's, it's second nature. Kids these days, Finn. Gosh, kids these days, man.
1: (laughs) Getting too old. Um,
0: Too old for this. I agree with
1: you, though. I mean, yeah. But I also think it's a flip side where I think you have some... It's weird, right? Because I think there's some rejection of content creation. At least I know a few people who are younger. I know the kids these days. I know a few people who are younger who don't like that aspect of social media and who actively disengage with it. But yeah, I think there's going to be people who are just like heads, head, you know, we're, we look like chumps compared, <laughs> compared to what people find. I mean, even look at cameras, right? Because like if you look at the Run for Colin documentary that we filmed, it was like 2014 and we had this like Best Buy camera that was pink and it was on discount because yeah. that was all we could afford for like a documentary. And uh, yeah. production quality is horrible. And then you look at like a GoPro on the Arizona trail and I'm like, oh my God, this is like professional, like a professional quality that's, you know, so it's like interesting to think of technologies evolving and the people who are using those technologies and, and yeah, what they're used to and what they, what they can do with ease that we take years to, to try to scheme up.
0: (laughs) Well, we, we talked about it the last time you were on the pod. I think that your setup is one of the most brilliant setups that I can recollect among athletes in our sport. Like you have some of your best friends are videographers and all of your stuff on the Appalachian trail, the PCT, the AZT, it's absolutely brilliant. And I do feel like that stuff is, uh, I don't see a world where, where that type of, um, craftsmanship from a content creation standpoint goes away. There's always going to be a need for that. And, uh, So if anybody's looking for a a good example of what's out there, we'll link to it again in the show notes because it's great stuff. I still watch the AT one. Although I guess you did that with your GoPro. A lot of that's just your GoPro. GoPro I always go back to that because I'm like, I mean, that's, that was part of the comment, right?
1: The one that you referenced on Instagram where it's like, yeah, I think it's super cool to tell a story through long-term, long-term, you know, in long form content in a documentary. But of course, yeah. Are most people going to be able to make a documentary about themselves? Like, Probably not, but that's where having someone who's kind of outside the box who can craft and create a really cool story. Cause you know, I haven't done, I didn't do Jack for any of the editing or actually making those things. I just like, you know, no, I've used a GoPro enough times that I know how to take dumb, dumb videos of myself, but, um, <laughs> it's really nice as an athlete to not also be responsible for all the production side of it. Cause I think that's how you yep. really get the, the cool stories that come out as opposed to these, you know, like a 10 second. Real that's gonna you know catch somebody eye somebody's eye and get you know a few thousand likes, but but maybe lack a little more depth.
0: Uh, you have your guy Brett and I were talking Brett Hornick, the guy who I do like mm-hmm. long run archives with. A couple we were talking offline because we get a lot of inspiration from the folks at Sidious Mag. Mm. And we were we were commenting that one of our missing pieces is we don't have our own Mac Fleet, who's the guy that does all the videography for them. I yep. think you got to have your video guy. You got to have the video, video guy. guy. So,
1: yep.
0: <laughs> if you are, I, I guess I'll, I guess we'll put a, a PA out there. If you are somebody with videography skills, you love the sport of trail running, you're you're a trail running nerd, hit me up because we're looking for our version of a Mac Fleet.
1: There you go. Yep. If you love to work for, 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 this is not to say that you're offering this, but on my end for my friend, Michael Dillon, I'm like, if you're excited to work for free on a fun project.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, one other thing I want to talk about before we get to Bandera is, uh, you know, you, you have your foot in a lot of different scenes in our sport. One of them is the FKT scene. I, I saw that the FKT of the year awards, uh, just got released on Instagram. What are your thoughts there? Did you agree with with how everything shook out in terms of the rankings?
1: Yeah, I thought it was, I mean, it's always such like a, it's always such a funny, like I, I always like laugh a little bit at the FKT of the year because people get really hyped about them. And I'm like, it's just this kind of like low key voting system on a bunch of like objectively rad things. And you're trying to objectively rate who did the raddest of them all where i'm like anybody who's in like a top 10 contention for one reason or another deserves to win so when i look at like who gets first or who gets second or who gets fifth uh i'm always you know i'm always kind of like yeah that's like you know depending on who you talk to you could make a great case for one person you know winning or not winning but specifically when you look at the two you know the male and female winner because they rank the they rank the fkts from a like a male and female um top you know top list um i mean looking at just how fast the um um like kunsel's time is is psycho right like you're like yeah anyone who beats killian you're in for a pretty good day um, and anyone who, you know, on the, <clears throat> on the female side, Andrea's time on like Nolan's 14. I mean, that's a rad classic. So I always enjoy people doing really rad classic, you know, outrageous efforts being up there. Um, I also appreciate Josh Perry getting second. I, I think maybe, you know, as far as, as far as the dedication and, and kind of structure, uh, of, Hey, do you award? Is the person who gets the Pacific Crest trail fastest known time or like, uh, I forget how long it took Jack to do that. I think it was like one, one a little over a day. I forget how long it took Jack to No, It's like 15 hours, isn't it? I forget how long yeah. the program around. I think it's yeah, like yeah. 15 hours. Yeah. Do you, we'll get it in the like show. A single day effort or like a, you know, a 50 day effort, 50 plus day effort, which, you know, objectively Josh Perry put in way more blood, sweat and tears. And, there was a lot more opportunities for things to go wrong and he managed to push through a lot of crazy situations. On the flip side, you know Jack on the Bob Graham is just like a psycho effort. so I'm like, yeah, you guys, basically I'm throwing my hands up and saying everybody's a winner to some extent because um, I just think it's it's really cool to see people pushing the limits in the way the way anyone on the you know on the list ended up.
0: If you have any intel, I'm curious. What is this Josh Perry guy's background? Because like I think a lot of folks who listen to this are familiar with Heather Anish Anderson. Uh, they're familiar with Scott or Carl Meltzer. The folks that have kind of put their names yourself on the Long Trail FKT scene. But who is this Josh Perry guy? He seems like he's kind of taken the world by storm a bit.
1: Yeah, um, he's he's a character. He's uh like like I don't know him that well, so I shouldn't call him hiker trash on a podcast, but I'll do that because he's just like, I mean, you know, he's, he has like a bit more of like an old school through hiking mentality background than you see in most people doing FKTs these days, which is really fun to see. He's also really young. Um, so, um, you know, he said, a, he said a bunch of fastest known times. He's done a bunch of like very ambitious, um, like off trail routes that you won't see on like a results page. Um, but you know, he set the Arizona trail, FKT long trail, Pacific crest trail. Um, he's British. He, I forget exactly what he does for work, but he basically comes and dinks around in the U S most every summer. So before he did, I figured what route he did in the, um, in death Valley, but that's what he did, like a big long route in death Valley before the PCT this year. So he does a bunch of, uh, he kind of like pushes the limit on like the hiking scene. Right. And then he also um, is now really getting into the kind of FKT scene. I think he's also only like 26, 27. So he's still pretty wow. young.
0: Yeah. Has has he expressed interest at all in your Appalachian Trail FKT?
1: Not to me, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's on the back of his mind. Gosh. Gotcha. Yeah.
0: But I mean what do you, what do you think about like, oh go ahead?
1: Oh, I was just gonna say, it's it's a very interesting world, right? And one that I kind of found myself in too after I set the PCT FKT. It's like Oh, I just set like a 2,660 mile record. Like, what do I do next? You know, do I do go run a 50K? Is that fun? Or do I go do, you know, so I'm sure somewhere in the back of his mind, at least this is where I was after the PCT. Ooh, that was fun, but maybe I could also do the 18.
0: Well, it makes me wonder, and this is kind of spurred more based on what you're saying about Jack earlier in these relatively shorter FKT efforts do you think it's necessarily the case that someone like Jack who just took down a, Achilles Killian Jornet record on the Bob ground round, can someone like Jack, do you think transfer well over to the formal racing scene? Like, like the UTMB circuit or the golden ticket series. Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: I imagine he should. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know where he'd line up, but I mean, you just look at, I honestly, I've like tried to research a little bit on like Jack's athletic background. And I feel like I always come up short with what I'm looking for. Um, which I probably just need to listen to a podcast or like find the right source to actually learn about him. But um, I mean, if when you're doing that in the Bob Graham round, he sh- he should be thinking he could, you know, be top 10 at UTMB or competing pretty competitively in most, most race
0: environments. Right on. Well, moving to Bandera, to set the table here, you are one of the most experienced runners in our sport when it comes to near misses at golden ticket races. Correct my math if if necessary, but I think you've had four. You've had Bandera, Havelina, Sonoma, Gorge in the last five years where you were like so close to punching your ticket. When you look back at those performances, what lessons, other than trying to secure the ticket, what lessons are you carrying into this year's race?
1: Well, I failed. Uh, no, I didn't fail twice at Gorge. Gorge, I still got third, but that wasn't a golden ticket race. Yep. I've had a lot of um, golden ticket efforts. Oh, that was the other one. Uh, no, that wasn't the other. It was Sean. No, that was just 100k. Now I'm like losing track of my own racing history. You're right on the number of races. My takeaways, I don't know. Uh, one, like it's a lot of fun. I h- highly recommend, you know, anyone else out there, if you can't, don't get a golden ticket your first time, go back for round two. <laughs> see if you can get it or your third or your fourth time. Um, cause they're all great races and it's always stiff competition and, um, you know, it's where I'll often meet people that are kind of pushing their own limits. So I've had a lot of joy going after these races, even though I've come up short a lot of times, you know, I've placed top five in all those races you mentioned, um, where you need to be top two and I haven't been top two. So, um, You know, I feel like I've learned a ton, right? Like my first, I did like Gorge in 2017 and I was like 10 minutes behind Walmsley at the 50K mark and was like, wow, I could beat Walmsley. And then I I pushed through like the 70K mark and then I like died super hard uh, and and had a horrible finish. Um, Havelina, you know, I think I just went out a little bit too slow and ultimately probably just didn't quite have it on race day. Um, and similarly for Bandera, you know, I was two minutes. I was between people. I was behind this guy, Tyler Fox, who was in second place. And I knew I was pretty close to him. Um, and people had told me I was within two minutes, one minute, I'd heard eight minutes, five minutes for 20 miles. So I'd been running about 20 miles of the final 20 miles of Bandera thinking I was within one to eight minutes of Tyler Fox. And I never saw him the whole time. Um, and I don't, I'd prefer not to do that again. So, you know, I think ultimately I'm a very conservative racer when it comes to racing. I think there's a lot of like stupidity in how people pace themselves in ultras. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that may be a little bit to my own fault. So, um, you know, I'm excited for Bandera and and also coming back for another race for round two. Because um, rarely do you do, you know, the same ultra two years in a row, or at least I don't typically.
0: Well, I was going to say maybe putting your coaching hat on or your commentator hat on for a second, given that you've been at this race, you've, it's come down to the wire for you here before. What do you think it takes to be successful? Like how how should someone like you or anybody that's in contention for a ticket think about this course and in the field and how to be successful?
1: Well, if you can get top two, that's a good way to approach a golden ticket race. So (laughs) that'll probably be the first thing that's on my mind. Um, no, the race court's fun. It's punchy. It doesn't have that much vert. It's sort of a runner's race, but also at least last year when I did it, it was a little bit wet. So, you know, you had mud that was sticking on your feet. And I don't know if anybody's running this type of mud where, it, you know, just cakes on the bottom of your shoe and then gets kicked up with every
0: step. And yes,
1: yeah, the so worst. There was a lot of that uh, or some of that, not a lot of that. And then on the downhills, it's these kind of a lot of like loose rocks on short, steep downhills. So, Um, the race is a double 50 K course. So you do the same 50 K loop twice. The beginning of the 50 K loop has a little bit of vert and has a few, few hundred foot climbs. Then you have maybe 10, 15 miles, probably 10 ish miles, of relatively flat running. Then you have a few more punchy climbs on the back, you know, seven or eight miles. And then you do that again. So it's a really interesting race because basically what happened last year is I started out with Jimmy Elam and I were like, are we idiots? Not Like, are we, like, super... One, are we really not fit because we're so far back? Or are we, like, geniuses because we're the most strategic racers of all time and we're (laughs) going to destroy everybody? Um, But really, you know, I think people went out last year a little too hard on the hills. They, like, slowed down. Like, I caught the majority of the front pack just running on that flat section, not doing anything special. Um, And then um, a few people had kind of run ahead and were able to hold on to leads and run pretty well through, through the next, you know, 30 or 40 miles that I weren't able to catch up with. But it's a really interesting race because you hit some of that technical, you know, climby descent type stuff. Um, And you need to be good on those descents through the last 50 K because it can be a big difference, right? If you're a little bit fatigued and you're tentative on these kind of like loose rocks on downhill descents, but then you still need to be able to run your, you know, seven, seven twenty minute mile pace on that flat section.
0: I saw a couple of weeks back you ran roughly a three hour, 15 minute, 50k with roughly a grand to climbing mixed in. So by my account, you look pretty damn fit. How are you feeling heading into this race?
1: Pretty good. It was a pretty chill effort. I just kind of went in and was trying to run. I've like started working with uh, Connor Holt, who's Camille Heron's husband. Camille's a stud athlete. Nice. I don't know who she is. Um and yeah, he wanted me to just run off heart rate, which was kind of fun. So I it was a very controlled, good effort. It was like non-technical footing. So they are, I feel like they're kind of a little bit different efforts, but it did feel good, kind of running a really cruisy, comfortable fifty um, k. You know, uh, four weeks before going for a big, a big hundred k. So I'm feeling feeling pretty fit, feeling pretty fast, and feeling like I can do a pretty good job. You know pushing pretty well while keeping it controlled at the same time
0: for those of us that are watching the live stream on saturday around roughly what time should we expect you to cross the 50k mark the finish of loop one if you're running the race you want to be running
1: Oh, no. Okay, good. I was like, at what time of the day? I need to look at what time the race starts. I was like, oh, no.
0: And, uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, like uh, like four hours? What's 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 your what's your I goal? Went,
1: I went like 4.07 last year and then came back in about 4.10, I want to say. Um, and wow. And this year, I'll probably go around 4. That's kind of what I'm eyeing. Um, okay. Four flat. I, I don't know. I go back and forth. I like the other thing that's changed is I can burp now. I've never been able to burp. Um and I got a procedure done that allows me to burp. So I'm like, yeah, is my ultra running going to be revolutionarily changed? Or like, am I just going to be running the same, you know, with the same ability level that I've been used to? So I'm a little bit uh excited that I could be coming in a bit faster than that. But I won't really know. I don't think how it'll affect me until the second half of the race. So that'll just be a little bit of a wild
0: card. Are you taking a golden ticket if you get it? Come on,
1: Finn. What kind of question is that?
0: A hard-hitting question. Uh, of course,
1: of course, I'm taking a gold ticket if I get it. I'm <laughs> gonna donate it to charity. Well, actually, that's what I'll.
0: <laughs> hey, there's a there's a wait list. They would they would love to have it. That's um, true. I'm sure. So I'm sure a lot depends on what happens at Bandera, because again, if like you said, if you get the ticket, Western States is in the cards. But what do, is there anything else? in the rest of your season that you can say with confidence you're going to be doing. Like we talked about how somehow you have not gotten into Barkley. Can you blink twice? If you got into Barkley,
1: I unfortunately (laughs) don't have the ability to blink these days. It happened with the (laughs) Botox surgery for my throat as well. We'll see what happens for later this year. Uh, I do want to come back for the JMT again. So I do need, but you have to get permits for that. So I'll hopefully go back for that since Jeff ended up breaking my record and um yeah if i don't get into western i'll see where i where i kind of change my focus because i might i don't know there's a few different things that i've wanted to do and that would kind of open up the calendar to to getting after them
0: awesome well joe always a pleasure to have you on the podcast we are looking forward to following your race on saturday and of course the rest of your season i am holding out hope that somehow some way you're in barkley this year in addition to western states but I guess we'll have to wait and see. Come March or April.
1: Just keep praying to the Barclay Gods.
0: Thanks for listening. Before we sign off, if you are a fan of the show, please consider supporting us with a rating and a review in your podcast player, a donation on Patreon, or the use of our sponsor discount codes in the show notes. We really appreciate your support. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and you have been listening to the Single Track Podcast.